0: All right. We're good.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cointel Bros. I'm your host, Sun, with my co-host.
0: I'm Z. Zero, right? Yeah, <laughs> Z. Zero.
1: DJ Z. Okay, cool. Uh, today's topic, we are discussing bioweaponry, bioterrorism, and biological warfare. We will be discussing what exactly those entail, defining their objectives as well as giving broader examples if y'all want to tune in for the uh extra hour uh, make sure to subscribe and like us on patreon as well as uh, on transistor um and yeah we'll jump right in unless you have something to add (laughs) djz
0: no that that's that 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 was a good (laughs) intro that was a really good one (laughs) No, I don't have anything else to add. You covered everything. So um, if you kind of want to do the basics of like what, uh, you know, bioterrorism and biological warfare is, and then, um, yeah, we have a few examples.
1: Yeah, word. Okay. So uh, the simple definition of bioweapons, um, the formation of biological warfare, and And bioterror is basically the mass organization, um, of poisoning and terrorizing a population. Um, there have been many recorded historical events in which larger organizations and agencies have covertly created, uh, whether they be airborne diseases or, um, Injections or vaccinations of any type um, to intentionally poison a large group of people and then document uh, the studies um, on these people. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, the, oh, go for it.
0: Oh no, I was just gonna say that there. There's a slight uh, difference in definition between biological warfare and bioterrorism. Um, and it's very minute, but I guess like for the sake of of argument, we should kind of clear that mm-hmm. up, like in the beginning. Like, biological warfare is just the broad sense of uh, the use of biological toxins and infection agents, you know, uh, as an act of war, as, like, declared war, right? But then when you have bioterrorism, it is, you know, it's essentially the same thing, but it's it's normally not in, like, an official act of war. It it is distinctly a a form of terrorism. And um, a lot of that has to do with, like, agribusiness, and um like a lot of it has to do with like a um e- economic systems as well um agrobioterrorism is also a thing of like agroterrorism and i mean it's not like that big of a deal but i figure that that uh, there there's two different ideas going on and they're both we'll, we'll get into both of them but just like off the top like there are two different um sides to like uh disease warfare and one is like an official like state sponsored like on the books like biological warfare which is a Mm -hmm. thing that, like, is openly funded and researched by governments, like, very out in the open, like, this is, like, a thing that happens. And then there's bioterrorism, and a lot of that is more DIY, more underground, and it's affiliated with, like, terrorist groups and splinter cells and things like that. And a lot of times it's, that's, like, the micro version of it, and then, you know, the macro is biological warfare, and then the micro is bioterrorism.
1: Correct, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for the clarification. Yeah. um, So uh, I think historically documented wise, like there since maybe the late 1800s, that's when um, a lot of these studies uh, were actually recorded. Um, I mean, it starts all the way back in 1890s. where there was, uh, this convention called the Hague Convention. And it was basically very similar to a UN, UN convention in which I believe 40 countries were, uh, meeting in the Netherlands to discuss, um, peace treaties. Um, but one of the main topics when discussing these treaties was also, hmm, I wonder if, uh, biological warfare would be fair as a quote-unquote defensive tactic in war.
0: Yeah, that's been something um, so, that comes up a lot uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in wartime and post-wartime is the, the the legality of biological warfare and who can do what to mm-hmm. who and where. Mm-hmm. When you said hog, was it H-A-G-U-E, like the hague?
1: Oh, was it hague? Sorry, I thought it was like haug,
0: oh, no. hoagie. <laughs> no, I wish it was. No, it, it's The Hague, which is a big Oh,
1: my bad. All right. No, it's cool. That know.
0: that ties into our previous episode a lot too because that's where a lot of the UN stuff now takes place is, is The Hague.
1: Exactly. Mm. It was like yeah, it was a very overlapping time in which a lot of these similar countries that were covertly meeting uh, for the UN were also meeting for the Hague Convention um which they actually had three different meetings. Um the second or the third one was not supposed to take place around World War I. Um, It was supposed to happen a lot sooner, um, but they ended up uh, basically needing so that they could covertly legalize the use of biological warfare and weaponry. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. um, I don't know. So in doing this research, I was kind of just going down the timeline of all of the historical evidence of... Uh, when the words biological warfare or biological terror were really being taken place in um, a place of court. Um, and honestly, ever since, like I said, the late 1800s, even 1907, um, there were a lot of negotiations of treaties surrounding war crimes, international law, and the decision of banning or regulating chemical weapons. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, Oof.
0: So, so um, in, uh, yeah,
1: go for it.
0: Oh no, I was just gonna say that one of the um, the main reasons why biological warfare um, has has always been sort of uh, a viable means of uh, of combat for some people is that it is effectively the best way to destroy a population without hurting um, the physical surroundings, without hurting the natural resources and stuff. So, if you wanted to take over a city, especially back in the day, you could either burn the city to the ground and kill everybody in it, or if you didn't want to have to rebuild, or you wanted what was, let's say, inside of a city, or you wanted to take over a city, you can just wipe out everything that's alive and then just move everything that you want in. Um, this was a practice that was, you know, used if you wanted to, let's say, uh, relocate or you know relocate a tribe in order to take their logging rights away, or to take. Mines and, and fisheries and things like that, you could just kill all of the humans in theory and then just move everything you wanted in and then extract everything that you wanted as opposed to potentially blowing everything up like happens during a lot of armed conflict over you know important sites.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of the doctors and names too that you'll see and hear uh, be mentioned in all of these. Uh, are also strongly affiliated with universities, specifically the Rockefeller um, Institute for Medical Investigations. Um, I mean, if you're into what we're into, you kind of know about the Rockefellers, uh, you know about um, even the Gates Foundation um, and just their interest, their their public interest of um, population control as well as um, public depopulation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was... Well, we we can definitely uh, speak about anthrax. Um, I think that Doctor Cornelius Rhodes was one of the big players that I do want to talk about too. But
0: okay, um, would you like to do that now?
1: Yeah. So in um, so in 1931, uh, there was this guy. His name was Doctor Cornelius Rhodes. Um, he was hired by the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Investigations to infect. Uh, and subject humans, um, with cancer. So he would inject people unknowingly, uh, with cancer. And later down the road, um, this was, this was only done so that he could study the effects of radioactivity, um, in a human body and the way it affects cells and the way you can target cancer cells and the way you can manipulate a body's immunity and immune response, um, to uh, rate radioactivity um, he was really important um, because he also um, he also was actually uh, responsible for founding the US Army Biological uh, Warfare facilities that were out in Maryland and uh, Utah and Panama mm-hmm. and um, not only that but when you do this research you'll find that there's this thing called the USAEC and which is the Atomic Energy Commission. And um, they are very similar to BG&E or EEG, which was BG&E's um, initial name. And they are also um, documented uh, in... They were experimenting on public masses. Like, There's not really much else to say, but he was a big player and he was really important in working with Germany, um, China, and the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm
0: nice um before we kind of like move on from like sort of an overview of biological warfare i wanted to bring up which i uh, something i found that was kind of interesting was like mm-hmm. a like a, a biological warfare in antiquity you know good mm-hmm. while like it really didn't get perfected until the late 1700s um with smallpox stuff which we'll get into um soon um like there have been in, like documented cases of biological warfare kind of going back to like 1500 BC because
2: mm-hmm.
0: it was very common for like, um, you know, on small scale, on like war on like a small scale, um, mm-hmm. various armies would take people who have died from diseases and like catapult them over walls or, you know, tie them on the horses and drag them into city centers and stuff to mm-hmm. hope to... Uh, to spread this infectious disease among the people who they were fighting uh, wars with. Um, there would also right. be a lot of instances of poisonous plants being thrown into wells and, and water supplies in order to, to poison uh, populations and, you know, like disease other people. And you really see this, like, a lot happening when you get into, like, a lot of the Greco-Roman stuff, too. It was very common for, like, if there was a disease that was affecting a town, uh, the various military, you know, apparatuses would find diseased bodies, and then try to transport them into, you know, war zones in order to affect the enemy. But a lot of times they would end up getting their old people sick too because they didn't really understand how germs and shit worked. Right. Um, You know, and then when you get into a lot of stuff with, like, the plague especially, one of the main reasons why that spread so rapidly and just for so fucking long was because diseased bodies were almost constantly used in in skirmishes and in battles because if someone got Mm -hmm. sick, they would just fucking catapult that shit all over the place, you know? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so, like, uh, another common thing would be to, like, take decomposing animals also, and you would throw dead animals and, like, decomposing animals and catapult those over walls or transport those on carts into various, you know, towns that you wanted to take over because, again, while they didn't really understand a lot of germs and a lot of bacteria stuff, they did understand that, like, having a dead animal around if it got into the water, if you ate it or whatever, spoiled meat like, get you fucking sick.
2: Right, right, so, right. You right. know,
0: so, like, even though it wasn't really perfected until, you know, probably, like, this, this, the eighteen hundred really, but started off with, with like, the 1700s, like, the shit's been around for a really long time, and now yeah. it's, you know, science has made it very fine-tuned, and, like, it's been perfected by by people now, but this isn't, like, an idea that sort of came along, like, in the past 200 years. It was just really perfected, now with like synthetic, you know, diseases and, and medicines and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So not even synthetic diseases, but also synthetic sterility and this synthetic definition of what sterility and hygiene really are versus um, what they aren't. And I think education and lack of education. And we can get into this too. How. Um, uh, minority neighborhoods are kind of, um, affected or at least densely populated areas, um, are mostly affected, um, directly, but, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah this one, <laughs> this one was a big one. This is one that I've been researching for a long time too and like have a huge interest in, um, yeah, the,
0: the, a lot of the, the interesting part with, with bio warfare, right, is that it's something that is super on the books, but can be very off the books, right? And it it's always been kind of a conspiracy theory topic, like a conspirator's is like wet dream, kind of, because there's no way to prove or disprove that a disease was, um, was created or let loose or allowed to happen or things like that, right? Right. So, and... I don't want to get into corona stuff because everyone else is, like, I don't really feel like breaking that down. I mean, I definitely think that it was planned and it was planned and it's all, you know, whatever. But, like, you can see a lot of parallels with historical events and then what's happening now. And if we did do something on corona, it would kind of be how this is a textbook, like, false flag type of thing where you can go back Mm -hmm. for fucking... 50, hundred years. And people are like, Hey, like if they want to consolidate power, this is how they'll do it. And this is like by the book, like a playbook of like how you would sort of do that rally the troops around something. But like this has been happening for a really long time, like the biological warfare stuff. And it's, it's always going to be a thing where we'll never really know what's actually happening. And it's always something where you can have instances and, unless there's proof, proof or a lot of like really strong documentation, like you're never going to really know if it's an accident or if it's on purpose.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: a lot of times it is on purpose, but governments can very easily like cover it up and governments can very easily like, you know, like pretend they didn't know or they'll like allow things to happen. And it's hard to get away with that now, but back in the day it was very easy Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, which kind of leads into the first example that we were going to do, which is smallpox, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so smallpox, I guess, was like the first real act of like bio-warfare that I'd ever heard about because of the the smallpox blankets that were given to the Native Americans, right? And so smallpox was an, a very infectious disease that was um, it was cured in the 80s. Right, So they said that it was officially eradicated in 1980. But while it was Mm -hmm. around, it was one of the most deadly diseases on the planet. And it's been around for fucking ever. Like forever. Like since the like 1500 BC or some shit. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, this shit had a 30% mortality rate. And then that was just amongst adults. And then with babies, it was even more. And it just, it involved like extensive scarring of the skin. And then like, you know, a lot of blinding and stuff. Right. And it was this really, really, really contagious and really infectious disease that's just been it was around a lot in like back in the day and then it it comes in waves, right? So you have these outbreaks where an entire town would get it, an entire population would get it, and then it would just go away. And it would come back and it would go away and it would come back. And it's been happening like that for it happened like that for a really, really, really long time and I mean, if you look at, like, it was maybe one of the first diseases that had, like, an actual vaccine, right? So in 1796, some dude named Edward Jenner made, like, what would eventually become the smallpox vaccine. You know, that's how big this shit was, that it was one of the first diseases to have a fucking vaccine because Mm -hmm. it was such a goddamn Mm -hmm. problem for so long, right? And so if you look at, like the etymology of it too, I guess, like they started to distinguish it from syphilis in the 16th century and um, it was called the speckled monster and Mm -hmm. the red plague. I like, I don't know, I thought the speckled monster was was a really funny thing to call it. But so like if you look at it in terms of like biological warfare, like so the British very famously used this against the Native Americans and the French in the French and Indian Wars in the late 1700s, right? So British officers would give uh, handkerchiefs and blankets to Native Americans that were infected with smallpox. Uh. And with a lot of these uh, colonial diseases and settler diseases, uh, by this time, Europeans had some sort of immunity to this bacteria, to this disease. The natives did not. So when smallpox would hit a native population, hit a native community, it would fucking rip through. Everyone would fucking get it, and everyone would fucking die, right? Just because there was no immunity to it, and they didn't know what the fuck to do. And it it was also used against natives in um, in Australia, right? So when they were called, when there a lot of colonial efforts were being made in Australia, uh, smallpox was introduced to, excuse me, native uh, or Aboriginal communities there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and it would just fucking decimate them, right? Um, To an extent, it was used in the American Revolutionary War, but by that time, like, they, they didn't really do it that much. I don't know. I didn't really see why they didn't do it, but it, it wasn't really that big of a deal. But after it was in America, like, the shit in Australia was really fucked up, right? And it was, mm-hmm. like, super covered up, and people really, like, didn't want to talk about it, but all these aboriginals would just... Fucking whole villages would just be wiped the fuck out from smallpox. yeah. And then settlers would come in and just fucking take it because, like we mentioned earlier, this is the best way to get people to go away but then keep all their resources, right?
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: You know, and then— so It it was a mining method. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's always been around. And so it kind of—it was around, it was hanging out. But then in World War II, they started trying to weaponize it again, right? And um Unit seven thirty one of the Imperial Japanese Army yeah. were involved in that research to turn it into a, a huge bio weapon. But that I guess never really fucking went everywhere like really didn't do anything because the vaccine was already around by then, right?
1: Well not only yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, you're fine.
0: I mean there was there was like a funny example of it, not funny, but like it was an interesting example in the forties, right, with in the Soviet Union. Yeah. So there was a place called Zagorsk Z A G O R S K, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so in forty seven, uh, there was a biological weapons factory there. And it's like this town that's like near Moscow, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um and there was an outbreak over there. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out yeah, that was the it's on this crazy fucking island that I cannot pronounce. It starts with a Z. Yeah. It's it's just all fucking consonants. I can't fucking... I can't fucking spell <laughs> it. I can't fucking no, say it. No, I get you. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: but that was, a, you know, one of these places where <laughs> the... It, it, it leaked out. It got everybody fucking sick. And then it, like... There was, like, plague ships that were happening at the time, too, by accident. Because ships were docking into these research areas. And people got that. Right. So they were spreading it all over these fucking island chains and shit. But, um... Like in the in the nineties, I think it was Boris Yeltsin, whoever was in charge of Russia at the time, like admitted that you know that that shit happened and that it was a fucking smallpox outbreak. And then the UN came and and scooped all that shit up. mm
1: -hmm, Even going back to nineteen forty-seven, or going you know from the forties and on, this is the exact same time in which um, the Gateway experiments were also beginning in Fort Detrick. And in um, 47, when I mentioned the Atomic Energy Commission, um, which was founded by Dr. Cornelius Rhodes, there was a colonel, E.E. Kirkpatrick, who started issuing secret documents um, stating that, oh, AEC will now begin administering um, intravenous doses of radioactive substances into humans. And before this, from 1940 to 1947, there was a global understanding and a global agreement um, across a lot of governments stating, okay, this is time, um, this is legal now, we're going to pass all of these very secret documents allowing governments to experiment on masses. And like you were saying, a lot of this wasn't even um, undiscovered or discovered until the 80s or the 90s. I think that's just important to to to, to touch on because uh, just the interconnectivity of everything, it's not just like in one country, it's not just affecting one group of indigenous people. It's actually <laughs> all over the world because in 45, even the Germans were granted immunity. Under Project Paperclip, which we don't have to talk about, but it's just, I guess, for timeline's sake, um, interesting to talk about.
0: Yeah, so I actually kind of fucked up on the dates there. That, that factory was formed in 47, but the outbreak was in 71. So okay, just,
1: yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then in, um, was it 92? There was some dude named Ken Alibek, A-L-I-B-E-K. And mm-hmm. he was a Soviet whistleblower who defected to the United States, who kind of blew the lid on a lot of their bio stuff.
1: Right. Yep. And yep, yep.
0: was saying that they had like weapons grade shit and um, stuff that was um, like immune to vaccines and immune yeah. to cures. And, and he really uh, tried to blow the lid off of this idea that the Soviets were like really focusing on on not only smallpox, but a shit ton of different uh, different weaponized diseases and stuff. And that scare, I mean, that'll tie into to some of the um, later stuff I'll get into with anthrax. But that sort of ties into a lot of, like, the um, the Middle East stuff that will eventually happen where everyone was afraid that people in the Middle East were going to acquire Soviet bioweapons, right? Right. That was a big desert storm thing. That was a big war in Iraq thing. Mm-hmm, um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: And bioweapons is always one of like the big plays that the UN or the United States will claim a a leadership is using on its people in order to try to uh, depose them. Right. Right. And we've seen that very recently. We'll, we'll probably continue to see that in the future, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. So who smallpox is a really interesting one because of, uh, of how long it's been around um, and I guess like switching gears to something that was pretty recently introduced um, is uh, the creation of AIDS. And there are very mm-hmm. similar um, key players. Um, so Zero touched on a lot of names and dates. and um, in his research and in my research, there are a lot of dates that overlap. Also, so, who, this is a big one. Um, I'm actually gonna go. Back a little bit into the 1930s. Um, So in 1932, uh, a lot of people are actually pretty familiar with this, but there was this thing called the Tuskegee um, syphilis trials. Mm -hmm. And basically there were 200 um, black men who were injected or given the syphilis disease. And once their symptoms started showing, they were denied access to health care and to treatment um, once it got a little bit worse, um, a lot of <laughs> uh, there was this program in which they were subjected to human experimentation. Um, these experiments were really torturous. I don't think I, I really want to go into the <laughs> details. Like, mm-hmm. um, but basically, they were just toyed with, and this was a really big deal because it kind of uh, marked the government's interest in not only depopulating um, black neighborhoods and um, highly dense, I guess just like very dense neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. um, but also beginning to um, coax people into the idea that immunizations and doctors were there for assistance um, rather than just experimentation. Um, And the reason I mentioned that First, before I talk about AIDS, is um, because this syphilis didn't really exist before. Um, So, uh, I don't really want to get into like (laughs) the lesson of biochemistry um, or the way that diseases and and immunity work. But if you look at a lot of these cases um, going all the way back to the 1900s, doctors and scientists were very interested. In studying diseases that didn't, that basically had no cure. Mm -hmm. So they were like, okay, how can we treat humans? And like Zero said, not necessarily affect the resources or the environment around them. And um, when we come to AIDS, oof, (laughs) we basically see the same thing. So one of the big names in this is um, Dr. Boyd Graves. Mm -hmm. Um, in 1962, he started researching, I guess, let me give some history on Dr. Dr. Ed is what his homies called him. He was initially a lawyer. Um, so, and then he started working in the medical industry, not as an MD, not as a PhD, but just as someone who was, um, I guess basically like a, a medical lawyer. And he was working to help people, um, just gained access to healthcare and he was helping a lot of marginalized folks and a lot of disenfranchised folks um, who were black and had the AIDS virus. Now the AIDS virus is very interesting because when you look at HIV, HPV, and AIDS, um, you see that AIDS is actually just a trigger word in order to monitor people with HPV symptoms. So if you want to go into the technicality of it, every person on Earth basically has a dormant um, HPV or HIV enzyme. Um, and re- re- like, depending on the symptoms that you start dis- uh, showing, that's when people start calling it AIDS, right? And so I, uh, 1962 was a really important year because this is the same year that President Kennedy um, authorized project 112 um, in which he subjected brown and black servicemen to uh, nerve gas which we actually received from China they and this was after Agent Orange this was after Tuban which is another nervine gas um, so once again like all these overlapping dates it's not a it's not It's not a coincidence (laughs) that these are all kind of happening at the same time. Um, Dr. Boyd Graves was like one of the bravest dudes ever. He got really – he had a lot of connections to people higher up and saw that on record, the CIA, the uh, CDC – the NSA and um, just the U.S. government had this program called the Na- National Special Virus Program. Um, he learned that five hundred and fifty million dollars um, was put into the creation of the HIV enzyme, and then about twenty years later, um, he he started, you know, talking about it publicly, and there were these. Um, there are these two doctors, Dr. Robert Gallo and Dr. Novakotsky, who basically defended um, this special virus program. And Novakotsky is actually really interesting because there's this university called Ivanovsky Institute um, for Virology. And if you look up their website now, it actually takes you either to a 404 page or it takes you to some like really weird soccer page, which is odd. But They've been a a virology institute since, I believe, the 40s or the 50s. They've been around for a while, and they've been under the radar for an even longer time. Um, So what he basically discovered was this flowchart that these scientists... um, had created and it was uh, over 500,000 studies from the 1900s up until the 19 um, like 1978 1977 and they were using all of these um, studies to say okay if we can create enzymes that can attack certain cells in melanated people then we can slowly kill them off um, at the same time there was this guy Harvey s uh so Harvey, Dr. Antelman, and he created this compound called um, silver oxide or tetracil. And it's really funny because if you Google tetracil, the first like five results are like conspiracy, hoax. Don't even look at tetracil, It will kill you. And just like this nonsense nonsense. Um, but if you actually look at it and look at the science and look at the abstracts behind tetrasil and what the Antelman, um, corporation was doing was basically creating a one-time injection, um, of silver oxide and treating AIDS patients and they would be cured within a month or less. Um, and it was on the shelves. It has a patent still. You can look it up, um, but it was pulled from the shelves with, with no explanation. Mm-hmm. And now people obviously um, talk a lot of smack about Dr. Entelman um, and his works calling him, you know, a pseudoscience whack job. Um, I have personally looked at these studies and, you know, given my background in science, I it, it basically attacks um, the... Not cancer cells, but the AIDS cells or the HIV enzymes um, very differently than anything that's on the market. And it's interesting, too, because back back in the day in the 1960s, the government was like, oh, by 2019, we're going to have an immunization for HIV, a one time shot. And, you know, we're here now, 2020, where it's it's still actually a huge epidemic and um, something that people don't know much about. Um. Yeah, this was a really interesting t- interesting um topic to me. Uh, mostly because <laughs> oh, the doctors that were defending it also were granted immunity because their research assist- assisted, um, in um experiments with biological warfare. So they're like, oh, well, if we sell our research. To the military, and we can show the military what we're doing. Then we're obviously not going to get in trouble, and that's kind of how it always goes down. And that's throughout this whole thing. What was really interesting to me, um, because in order to convince people that this is happening, I always wanted to get to the root of like, look, look who is being protected not not people, but corporations and their and their scientists. Um, but yeah, that is. <laughs> It's a pretty crazy one. I definitely encourage anyone to look up Tetrasil, look up Dr. Boyd Graves, look up um, Entelman Corporation. And, um, you know, like me and Zero say, do your own research, question everything.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Hell yeah. So I wanted to kind of touch on like a more recent... Uh, example of like a bio weapon and something that sort of hits close to home, especially for us, because uh, it took place in Maryland to an extent. But um, anthrax, yeah,
2: yeah. anthrax Before is a big Detroit. one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I wanted to kind of go over what anthrax fucking is, and then I guess we can talk a little bit to close it out about the anthrax attacks because I remember that shit really well, and I did want to get like uh, uh, how it affected the Patriot Act. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. It was a very like
1: anthrax. 9-11 thing. Like let's scare people into thinking that, yeah. yeah it exactly. was a week after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So anthrax itself is, um, you know, it's a disease. And, and it, has, it it can occur, occur four different ways, right? So it has skin, lung, intestinal, and like through like intravenous, I guess, like through blood and stuff. Mm-hmm. and it causes these little-ass blisters, and then it swells, and it turns black, and all that kind of shit. Now, the um, the most common uh, way to catch this is through your skin, right? So that is 95% of the cases are just, like, on your skin. You get these, like, lesions, and they turn black. And it's mm-hmm. it's fucking gross. Um, And that has, like, a 25% mortality rate, right? Now, um... If you get it inside your intestine, if you get it, like, through eating shit, um, that has a mortality rate that can go from anywhere from 25 to 75%. And then if you mm-hmm. get it by breathing in the spores, you're looking at 50 to 80% mortality rate. Um, this disease was a big deal in the 20th century, but there's been vaccinations, and so now it's not really, like, out in the wild anymore. It almost exclusively is for warfare um, purposes. There are still outbreaks. Outbreaks do still occur in, like, Africa and um, Southeast Asia, I think it is. But for the most part, it's pretty well under control now. But um, it was discovered officially in, like, the late 1800s by this German dude uh, named Robert Koch, who went on to win a Nobel Prize. And he, uh, you know, he just, like, discovered it uh, because animals were getting sick and people who were interacting with these animals would get sick, and then he figured out, like, what the fuck was going on. And the for, one of the first vaccines was introduced by uh, Pasteur himself in uh, the late 1800s. So, like, since then, we've kind of had it under control since, like, the end of the 1800s. But, you know, everyone sort of realized that, like, these animals would get sick, and then if you ate the meat or if you were around these fucked-up animals, and you would get all these different diseases would happen and then eventually they figured out that it's all the same thing. Like it's all anthrax. It all comes from the same, like the the, the, same, the same disease that affects these animals in all these different ways and it affects humans in all these different ways. Um, and it's really rare to contra- the, to get it like human to human. It's normally going to be in the wild, um, animal to human or more commonly animal to animal.
2: Mm-hmm. And they can
0: get it through eating like through eating each other or through just any way. Animals can spread it very, very easily. It's harder for it to get to humans naturally. But when it does, mm-hmm. it will fuck you up, right? And it, like I said, it's not really that big of a deal anymore. But it, it classically has been. And it's it's spores, right? So it spreads through, through spores. And you're more a science person than I am. So if you want to get into the difference, like what a spore is, as opposed to like other type of ways diseases spread, but like, It can stay around for a really fucking long time. Mm -hmm. And so site cleanup takes a really long time. It's just a really big pain in the ass, and it's really effective at what it does naturally. So when you start getting into more recent times when they've started to uh, design it, enhance it, weaponize it, all this kind of stuff, like anthrax can be, could be a very, very serious thing because that can affect the food supply, and it can just fucking wipe people out, and it will stay around forever. You'll have highly contaminated zones for a really long time. And that was a big thing with like what would happen in Russia and happen in all these places where they try to weaponize it. If something went wrong, it becomes almost like a nuclear site, right? Where they have to just get everybody the fuck out because it will just stay there for fucking ever. It becomes like an exclusion zone. Um, now, anthrax was used against the Russian army in Finland in 1916 um, no one really knows like how well that really went, but it was, it was used a little bit, um, in the thirties. Um, it was used, a, uh, sorry, it was a warfare agent used by unit 731 again in, mm-hmm. in Japan against, mm-hmm. against the army, um, in in the thirties or whatever. And that, uh, that was actually funny because it was called Agent N, like the letter N. Mm. So yeah, Agent, yeah, yeah. Agent N. Um, and that, like, the Allies figured all that shit out or whatever. But, um, yeah. so they would drop, like, what they called N-bombs, which I thought was really fucking funny. That That's
1: would, really hilarious, that they would drop actually, an N-bomb yeah.
0: on people. Yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, So also in the 40s, the British were trying to, um, to give this to Nazi Germany. So what they did is they tried to put animal feed pellets impregnated with anthrax spores and they were going to airdrop them into Germany so that the cattle would eat these like cow, this cow food basically. The cows Mm -hmm, would get sick mm -hmm. and they would infect the Nazis, right? Um, but they didn't end up doing that, and then all that stockpile was burned a couple years later. But for a while, there were literal warehouses full of anthrax-infected, yeah, cattle, yeah. cattle food, right? And so that was, you know, I thought that that was like a pretty, a pretty, uh, funny one. That was called Operation Vegetarian. Um.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, on, a, on a side note, uh, going back to like Fort Detrick, though, it's all held in this one spot. And there was this thing called the Senate Committee Church or or sorry, Senate Church Committee um, that were like supposedly doing investigations into the CDC, FDA, the uh, CSI and the FBI. And they were like, oh, by the way, all of this anthrax and Agent Orange is like in this fort Just like FYI, it's just, it's there for defensive purposes. And they said that there's a bunch of food poisons, because if you can go into agricultural warfare, meaning you infect their animals, yeah, you can like wipe out humans (laughs) very easily.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: Going back to the spores too, though, the reason spores are so effective is because they live in mucosa membranes. So Mm -hmm. they live in like your nose, your throat, um... Any, any part of you that basically creates mucus and that is uh, your, mu- your mucosa membranes are ways to clear your body and to um, basically have a, a purified system. Um, and that's why our guts and our food deserts exist because if our systems aren't clean, we can uh, more readily hold on to the virus that's being injected into us. But yeah, sorry, go for it.
0: No, you're good, dude. In 1972 there was a thing called the Biological Weapons Convention and where a treaty was signed where basically no one was going to use bioweapons anymore, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So like um even a little bit before that though in 69 Nixon um quote dismantled our biowarfare programs <laughs> although that didn't mm-hmm. fucking happen. Um but you know <laughs> the fucking Soviets just kept on making this shit. And, like, that island I mentioned earlier with the smallpox shit, um, that's also linked to some anthrax stuff, too. That was—there was just, like, once— they just had, like, these sites all around the Soviet Union where they were making Mm -hmm. all these fucking bioweapons. And then once the Soviet Union was collapsing or started to collapse or after it collapsed, like, during the collapse of the Soviet Union, a lot of these bioweapon sites all in these different, you know, communist countries were all taken to— mainly to various spots in Russia, but sometimes they were taken to, like, Belarus and other places like that. But um one of the... A very big incident, before we get to the American one of smallpox, was the Sverdlovsk incident in 79. I'm, not, I'm saying it wrong because I can barely fucking spell it. S-V-E-R-D-L-O-V-S-K. You try to say it. I fucking can't. <laughs> and, like, to make a long story short, like, this was... Just an incident where in the um in the late 70s, right? So in 79, um, there was an outbreak of weaponized anthrax in this fucking town where this biochemical plant was. And around 100 people were infected and 68 of them fucking just died of anthrax poisoning, right? And so this was very interesting because this was a pretty good example of a KGB cover-up that took place because they immediately went right. in... When, when they figured out it was anthrax, KGB immediately came in and were like, look, this isn't a weapons thing because we're not allowed to do weapons, dog. So what this is is this was a natural occurring anthrax. So the KGB tried to say that this was um, naturally occurring and like and it was a contamination with the cattle supply in the area. So it, they said that it was from like like infected meat and shit like that. So Mm -hmm. they fucking killed like all the cattle in the area and they killed all the dogs in the area to try and cover up for the fact that this shit like leaked out of a lab. And no one really bought it. But I guess like in the 80s, the US went in to try and figure out what the fuck was going on with the Soviet Union. And then in 92, Yeltsin was like, dude, no, like that, you guys are right. That was totally a fucking thing, our bad. But it was... in. uh, a cool part of that story was that NATO was like super suspicious about what the fuck was going on. And most of the people who were infected were men, right? Mm -hmm. So NATO thought that the Soviets were, um, were like researching gender specific diseases. Mm -hmm. only men Mm -hmm. were infected. They're thinking the reasoning is, is because the, when it got out, like the time of day that it got out, it was like only men working in the surrounding area. Right. So those are the people who were infected first. But the idea of like a gender-specific disease, you know, like that's something that I didn't really think about until this, which was kind of cool. But, um, excuse me, like apparently anthrax is not that hard to make. Like I don't know anything about the science behind it. I just know that mm-hmm. um, someone said that you could create it with a first-year collegiate microbiological education.
1: That's real. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually very true.
0: <laughs> it's something that, like, is very easy to make and it's very easy to spread, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, the only reason I know about anthrax was because of the 2001 anthrax attacks. And for those who don't remember, or I mean, it's weird to think people weren't alive then, but I mean, I guess mm-hmm. people who were born that year, like 19 now, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. Mm hmm. Right after 9-11, a bunch of people were getting letters in the mail that had white powder that ended up being anthrax, right? And I what was it? Only, what, 22 people were infected and five people died, but it helped change the course of world history, right? Yep. And it ended up that the dude who was allegedly mailing these out was some guy from Frederick at Fort Detrick. And um, because of this, because of this mailing of this disease, and again, like... We, I haven't really been going deep into smallpox or anthrax because they're such big fucking topics. I kind of get lost in it. Mm. But these were, like, very fucking serious, like, very deadly, very, like, big deal diseases that even if the public didn't know what the fuck they were, the government was like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we're like, it's back. Like, we're not doing this shit again like when it would rip through towns, like, you know, 200 years ago. <laughs> like, we can't do that now because you highly... Populated urban centers and shit like that. So when anthrax popped up, it was a big fucking deal. And you're coming off of 9-11, a little suspicious that, uh, they happen around the same time, but whatever. And because of this, um, 9-11 and the anthrax attacks were the two main, um, catalysts, publicly at least, behind the Patriot Act. Mm -hmm. We'll cover the Patriot Act at some point because it deserves its own, its own episode, essentially that was up until what will probably happen after this pandemic the biggest infringement on personal security and um what um just like uh, confidentiality and and privacy um it gave um the american government essentially um laissez faire uh, control over your life in terms of monitoring you at least so through the patriot act they were able to Wiretap to get into emails, to get into your mail, to survey you any way they really wanted without having to get much explanation and without having to get that many warrants. So it used to be really fucking okay. hard and have to build a lot of these cases in order for them to uh, tap your landline phone, in order for them to go through your mail or to tag, like to tail mm-hmm. you, to follow you around. But um, after these two back to back terrorist events, right, in quotes, terrorist events, the government started saying, like, look, like, shit's fucking crazy. We got to protect people, so we need to know what's going on. We, we can't wait for the legal process for us to acquire warrants and to gather evidence because sometimes stuff happens so fast. We need to be able to get the fuck in there whenever we want. That was, like, the the, the reasoning, like, in Congress and stuff like that, in, in the halls of American po- uh, politics. It was a largely uh, Republican-backed bill. The Republicans pushed this shit through during, you know, George W. Bush times. And immediately it made it so that if the government has, on paper, any reason to suspect that you are doing anything related to terrorism, and terrorism can be very broadly defined, they can just go through all of your shit whenever they want. So if they deem you to be a terrorist for whatever the fuck you're doing. Your yep. phone, your computers, your mail, like they can come into your fucking house and you're not there. They can do whatever the fuck they want under the guise of uh, anti-terrorist measures, right? And right, so, Exactly. Yeah. So that was like a really, really big event that sort of changed the, I mean, it changed the fucking world, but it changed the way that, um, Americans, uh, were under the thumb of their government. It changed the way that, that we really interacted with, with our government, um, because of these anthrax attacks. And it's interesting because it was a disease that really wasn't that big of a deal
2: for
0: exactly, years. Yeah. There's vaccines for it and it's, it, the smallpox and the the anthrax like correlation in my mind at least was like these diseases were identified and they were somewhat easily contained. Smallpox was a little harder because it would it stayed in third world countries. Like there were still right. outbreaks of, of smallpox in like indigenous okay. places and in and, and less developed places for a really long time. Whereas anthrax um, sort of would just like come in and then leave. It would just like kill a couple people and then leave once like the cattle effectively died. Or like the, if, if you could contain mm-hmm. the animals that were infected, then it would only kill a certain amount of people because human-to-human transmission was so difficult in its natural state. But then when you start talking about like these uh, scientifically modified diseases and all this kind of shit, now we're looking at stuff that like, we don't know what the fuck would happen. Like, if there was a large-scale outbreak of smallpox now that was resistant to the vaccine, who knows what the fuck would happen? If, yeah. And the same thing with anthrax. So we're looking at these things that on their own, they were deadly enough, but if you can find a way to make anthrax transferable from human to human, like, we're fucking done because this shit will, <laughs> like, it can kill, like, at... At least 25% of people who were infected, oh, at most, like and, up to 80%. Quickly,
1: yeah. And what they're trying to do also, um, just to add on to that, is like they're trying to not only, you know, make it human to human contact, but they're also being like, okay, how can we modify um, the genomics of this disease that we've created in order for it to? Have antibiotic resistance, and now you literally have antibiotic resistance in people. Me personally, I can't be on cipro, I can't be on penicillin, and there have actually been reportedly a lot of Mexican women that can't take penicillin because it, it messes with them. There's just like a, a lot of very strange, and um, in a lot of these documents, when you when you look um, back on the trials with a lot of these scientists, mm-hmm. they're like you said, very vague. They're very vague. They're like, oh, well, it's about public interest. It's about um, protecting the people and it's about this or this or that. A lot of the language they use and a lot of the technical terms they use, it's to protect them. It's to protect their research and it's to protect this idea. And we can talk about this um, in the next episode um, in, our, in our after potty. Um, but just how this kind of play, it plays into eugenics, depopulation, um, and just kind of like this new world order where the population should be culled until it reaches a certain specific number.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, biological warfare and you know, bioterrorism – or mm-hmm. a silent killer and it's very easy for you to be separated from the killing agent you know mm-hmm. it's very easy in theory for someone with a lot of money to pay a scientist to create a bioweapon um mm-hmm. apparently they're not that fucking hard to make um and it's and it it, it, it just becomes interesting when you look at diseases and obviously everyone's thinking about diseases now because of what's happening but Mm. it's very fucking easy Mm. to get a disease into a population and it's very easy for no one to take the blame for killing a bunch of people right yep and it's been happening for as long as people have been fighting like what is the best way for me to get rid of you guys without me really having to do that much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll just get y'all sick, and then I'll just lock myself up. This shit will rip through all y'all, and then right. I'll just come in later with a fucking broom. <laughs> you know, like, this, these are very real things that have happened, and they could happen at any point. Not saying that mm. they're going to happen, like, tomorrow or anything, but mm. Mm. It's, it's just it's just fucking scary, and it's it's something that is very fucking real. And when you look at especially smallpox like you can there's ways for you to find these diseases that occur in nature and then all you have to do is give them a little push or enhance them a little bit and then you could infect someone and then be like I didn't do that shit like smallpox just fucking happens
1: dude yeah. yeah in one of the trials there was a scientist who was defending one of the corporations and he was like th- his his literal statement was like oh yeah um, you like you said, you only need a college degree to create this. People could probably create it in their garage if they wanted to. Um, I don't know, protection. I was like, what? and then he, they were all granted to me. It's just so funny to me. Like, I just gotta laugh at this shit.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a thing. If you if you look, especially back to the French and Indian War when the British were giving it to the natives, there's a lot of like kind of commentary on that where the general idea to an extent. Like, the reason why there wasn't a lot of public outcry at the time at least was like, well, it kind of like, it was going to get them eventually, right? Like, a lot of them are dying <laughs> yeah. from this shit. So, like, we kind of just, like, got them to God a little quicker, you know? Mm. And that's the mentality for some people with this stuff. where It's like, like it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Like, with the AIDS thing, not to, I mean, we're, we're running sort of towards the end, and I don't really want to end mm-hmm. it on, like, a terrible note. So, please say something after <laughs> I say this. But with AIDS especially, like, since it w- it became synonymous with the black community and homosexual or queer community, however, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, um, mm-hmm. for a while, it sort of became this inevitable part of that lifestyle in certain urban centers where, like, if you were a gay man, specifically a gay man or a gay man of color, it was like, I'm eventually mm-hmm. going to get... Because the, they called it the gay plague back in the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? exactly.
0: And so they were like, I'm going to get the fucking gay plague. I'm going to get the gay, the gay cancer, the gay disease, whatever you want to fucking call it. So I might as well just get that shit out of the way now so I don't have to worry about it. I can just get it. Like, I, then I, I won't be so anxious. So there was a thing, and like, especially in the 80s and maybe into the 90s called the bug chasers.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And they were mostly, like, homosexual men in, like, New York and, like, major cities and their whole thing was that they just wanted to get it over with. They just wanted to get yes. HIV, AIDS in order to get it over with. And so they would have these parties where one or two men who had tested positive would go and have unprotected sex with right. you know a dozen men who were who did not have it in order for them right. to spread it amongst themselves and later amongst the entire community in order just to like get it over with because it was just like this inevitable fact of life. It's the same way that you can hear like, young, like, uh, children of color in, like, shitty towns and and shitty cities where they're like, I'm going to go to jail eventually. You know, like, I'm going to get murdered in a, you know, like, in a gang-related or drug-related thing eventually. I might as well just get it over with now because there's no fucking point. But, yeah, like, when you... When you take these, like somewhat naturally occurring diseases and even these, these um, man-made ones and you kind of normalize them and you can, you can be like, look, they're going to fucking happen. Like they just happened. Like we didn't do anything. Like they're, they're a natural part of these ecosystems and these environments. Then it's a way to not hold anybody accountable. And it makes them all the more dangerous because people who aren't educated can be like, that's just the way it is. You know,
2: mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. in
0: big cities, you know, they get sick. Like, You know, gay men get AIDS, like native people get smallpox or they get, you know, anthrax. Like if you deal with animals, you can get anthrax. Like it's these things where they become sort of normalized and like get made part of like your natural surroundings where they're not fucking supposed to be there and they're not there. Like that's not how it fucking is. Like these things are put there on purpose to like depopulate and to attack vulnerable populations. Like AIDS didn't rip through like the yachting community of New England, right? It didn't hit like everyone in DC, everybody like in the government, like it hits poor people and disenfranchised people, people of color, people who people in power want to eradicate and want to dislocate and things because it's the easy way to do it and not take fucking blame.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not to end it on a bad note, huh?
0: Yeah. Say something cheerful.
1: Okay, I will actually. So I know that we've been talking (laughs) a lot about um, all this negative um, aspect of of a fear, right? And and even what we're going through now, we're actually seeing a contagion of fear, and we're seeing this contagion of panic and dread. Um, But once again, if they have been so, I'm not going to touch on this long because we're already at 110. But um, y'all, mind over matter. Take care of your gut. Garden. Um, if, if you can tell something that it can't do something, it'll start believing that it can't do that thing. Similar to neighborhoods, when you tell young kids like, oh yeah, you're going to end up in prison. You're going to end up dead. You're going to end up with AIDS, you know, slowly and slowly you become indoctrinated with these beliefs and those beliefs become your habits and those habits become your lifestyle. Um, so there are these things called the gateway experiments in which You can hypnotize somebody um, through sound and through word. And you can basically, if you can control someone's perspective of their reality, you could also uh, modify their behavior and their response um, to that reality. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We have a lot of power as humans, and I really believe that. So, as as saddening as all of this information is, it's important to know so that we could reclaim our own knowledge that they've stolen from us in the past.
0: That's a good that's a good way to end it. I I think. <laughs> so yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Um, subscribe and give us a good review if you can. Um, if you'd like, we do an, an additional hour every week on our Patreon. You can access that for five dollars a month. Um, if you like the show and just want to give us some money, we do have like a smaller, like little three dollar tier. If you want to just kind of help the show get get more on its feet, um, we have plans to make the show better, but. We're working on that, and things would be sped up very quickly if we had like um, some support, which, which we're actively trying to really get. Um,
1: yeah. Where can they find us? Like, What are the websites?
0: We have our website, which is cointelbros.transistor.fm. Um, as of the time of this recording, we're on iTunes and Google and Spotify, um, and we're actively trying to get basically everywhere. It just takes time, and you have to show... Uh, listenership and shit like that in order to really get on. So we're, we're working on it, but we're going to try and be around for a while. And yeah, if you like it, uh, a great way to support us would be just to tell your friends and give us some good uh, reviews and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening.
0: All right. Take care of, of yourself and like your community and stuff.
1: Amen.